We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome in another edition of the Good and Plenty podcast. I'm Jeff Goodman, and uh, we're doing a little uh, NBA draft lottery edition. I know NBA playoffs are in full gear. Everybody's talking about that. But believe it or not, the NBA draft lottery is uh, this week, and I brought on two people that I think are as good as any uh, to, to break it down, to talk about the what-ifs. Uh, we love playing the what-if game here. And uh, we'll start with Matt Babcock of Babcock Hoops, who comes from great lineage. Uh, father, two uncles, uh, have been in the NBA uh, for years and years, and Matt was a former agent, and now runs his own uh, his own company, his own site, Babcock Hoops, and none other than Sam Bassini from The Athletic. Uh, headphones on, needs a haircut, but looking good nonetheless, and uh, glad tough, to have you both on, guys. Yeah, it's, tough, it's tough out here in L.A., man. The haircut, it's, it's just going wild. I mean, there's nothing you can do. It's absolutely nothing you can do. You well, guys at got least, the... at least you have hair. You exactly, know? <laughs> you're better shaped True. than both Matt and I, dude. It's I'm not long for having hair though, guys. Like <laughs> this is this is not going to end well for me. I mean, you guys got the professional backgrounds. I've just got like a fucking lamp in my background. We're all good. Sorry, listen. Matt's outdressed both of us. I got yeah, t-shirt. Sorry. Got t-shirt. Matt's my, got. My wife dresses me. Smart, no smart, shit, man. Smart. What's What's going on here? We we got Goodman and me in a t-shirt, and yeah. we got Babcock in like a, suit. Sorry, we got a professional professional microphone here. Babcock's uh, what what is that? A, a Langolier is something like that. The right, right. Microphone? I like it. All right, let, let, let's get down to business here. Let's get down to the the NBA draft lottery. And uh, a year ago, uh, I was there in uh, Chicago when David Griffin was smiling from ear to ear, I think they had what a 6% chance, um, you know, New Orleans and they ended up getting the, the biggest prize, which was Zion. Uh, and it's worked out for them pretty well, as long as he's healthy and on the court, uh, you know, the teams that obviously have, have the, the, the 14% chance right now, Golden State, Cleveland, Minnesota going in. Um, what, what's the biggest storyline? I'll, I'll start that way. Matt, what's the biggest storyline for Thursday night for the draft lottery? Oh, well, I mean, for me, you know, this year, you know, there's not a clear-cut star, right? So there's a lot of parity. I've got, you know, six to eight guys in, in my first tier, and it's all pretty close. 
Uh, so I think this year's lottery is, is more important than, than it is in a lot of years because you, know, you could have a guy that could be considered with the number one pick or he could go five or six. And so, I, I, you know, I'm sure Sam feels the same way. I mean, we've been waiting impatiently for, for this order to get set because, you know, we're just doing all these simulated lotteries and all that. And so now we actually get to work and, and, and really talk about what, what's actually going to possibly happen. I mean, Sam's done like 42 mock drafts in the past <laughs> four months, even though uh, yeah, it's there, hasn't been, there hasn't been one actual workout. But you got, hey, listen, I get it. You got to get page views. You got to get subscribers, all that, <laughs> move it around, whatever you got to do. Somebody had a great Zoom call, move them up, right? No, it's not that. You go back, you watch tape just as much as these NBA teams are doing. You talk to different people around the league. People have different opinions, you know. It's certainly not just about page views, but the thing that – uh, I question here is I think that obviously everyone will be excited if they win the number one overall pick, right? But how valuable is the number one overall pick this year is kind of my question because there are a lot of guys here that while they have high ceilings, they also have really low floors, right? Uh, Anthony Edwards, you could tell me he's anywhere from like a Victor Oladipo, Bradley Beal hybrid to a Dion waiters like sixth man off the bench, right? That's genuinely the floor. With LaMelo Ball, you could tell me he's uh, like a Rajon Rondo right now, which is like a backup guard. Or you could tell me he is an unbelievable superstar point guard. I have him at number one. I think he's probably going to be closer to the latter than the former. But there's real floor there, right? So these teams are going to have to give this player that they pick at number one overall, something in the range of a four year, $47 million contract. It is basically a mid-level exception for at least two years, likely four years at the end of the day. So how valuable is this pick really to specific teams that might already have a point guard in LaMelo ball, might already have a lead ball handler in Anthony Edwards, might already have a center in James Wiseman's case. So I'm still trying to figure out what I want to win the number one overall pick in this draft. I'm with you hundred percent. And I've talked to plenty of NBA GMs that said they really don't want this pick. They'd rather have somebody else make the number one pick for them. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, whoever gets number one trade down, trade down. As you're saying, Sam, the value isn't there to trade down for the most part. Is it Matt? You know, it's tough. I mean, on one hand, that's not a ton of money if you're looking at the overall cap. Uh, I do agree with Sam, though. I would rather get the same player four or five picks later if you could. Um, right. You know, and, and with Edwards and Ball, I mean, their upside is clearly high. I mean, I have Edwards, I have number one as far as upside goes, and Ball's probably right behind him. Um, and they're the guys, I'm not sure I want to take them. I don't know if I want to pass on them either. And so that, that kind of falls into the same same conversation of like, Hey, maybe we'd be better off, you know, getting three, four, or five, and get in a same level player that might even be a safer pick. All right. So again, you've got uh, Edwards. Uh, Sam has Lamelo. I have Wiseman. And, well, and actually, hey, Jeff, sorry to cut you off. I have Edwards as far as the most upside. Yeah, yeah. I don't have him as the clear-cut number one player, but I think upside-wise, I would put him at number one. But I think, again, I think this shows what the draft is all about, that it's kind of beauty is in the, the, the hands of the eyes of the beholder for the most part. Um, let, let's go through. And if Golden State gets the number one pick, you're Bob Myers. I'm taking James Wiseman. I'm not even thinking twice about it. I'm taking Wiseman. I think he fills a need there. Yes, he probably fills a 15-minute-a-game need. Um but I'm rolling the dice and saying, hey, I want to win a championship in the next couple of years. 
and I don't think Lamelo or Anthony Edwards are going to be able to help me where I need help. Agree or disagree with, with, with that theory? Uh, I, I disagree if your goal is to win a title next year. Uh, they have this massive Andre Iguodala trade exception, right? That's something in the range of $17.2 million. I'd be attaching the, you know, number one, number four, number five, two, three, whatever they end up with to that $17.2 million trade exception and getting whatever guy I can. And there are different ways that they can go about doing that. They can actually, uh, you know, for instance, move the trade exception to Minnesota, attach a little asset, bring back James Johnson, and then James Johnson goes out and they can end up getting more than the $17.2 million with that trade exception. So they're not just limited to $17.2. They're, I think, limit is something in the range of like $19 to $20 million in terms of a player that they can acquire. That guy that they acquire for $19 to $20 million, in addition to that number one to number five overall pick, whatever they end up with, that's going to be a lot more valuable to them, I think. Like, that's going to be the guy that can legitimately help them win a title. Like, the the name that I continue to come back to is Aaron Gordon. In that regard, I think he'd be really, really helpful. Oh, for them. He'd be terrific. He'd be terrific for them. I mean, he's he's exactly what they need uh, right. in terms of that, that athletic big who just plays hard. You know, skill level's gotten better, but he's still not a, a super skilled guy. Matt? Where, where would you go if you're Golden State? You agree with – I like that if, if they can pull in a guy that can help them win. I guess what I was saying is if you're choosing between Wiseman, Edwards, or LaMelo, oh, sure. I would choose James Wiseman if I were Bob Myers. Yeah, no, Jeff, I, I agree with you. We, we actually currently have Wiseman going to Golden State in, in our mock draft, and uh, I think he's plug and play. I actually think he could fill a bigger role than 15 minutes a game. I think he could be a guy that's their, their, their main guy, you know, holding down the – the, the uh, low post and uh, be their defensive anchor. Uh, and he's, he's a really sharp kid. I mean, 4.3 GPA in high school. I think he's going to be able to step in. And even though the big man position is a lot simpler now than it used to be, he's still going to be able to pick up, you know, the NBA game. And I, I think be able to step in and be a productive guy, even maybe on a championship level team. Uh, and my other concern would be, okay, say you're looking at LaMelo ball or Anthony Edwards, which are ball dominant guards. It will change the dynamics of that team completely. You know, Steph Curry has been penciled in as the point guard for years. He's still a shooting guard. He initiates the offense. He's running around off screens. Draymond's really the, the, the key playmaker there. You bring in Edwards and Ball and expect them to play 30 minutes a game, you pretty much take Draymond's offensive uh, influence out, out. And then defensively, you're probably going to have to play a lot of minutes of Steph, Lamelo, or Anthony Edwards, and Clay as a three. Your backcourt is, is much more uh, vulnerable uh, you know, with, with two of those guys on the defensive end. Listen, the best thing that could happen for LaMelo Ball, you could say for all three of those, is to end up in Golden State because of the organization. But, you know, how does LaMelo deal with having to wait his turn and learn from Steph, which is, again, the best thing that could happen to LaMelo, right, is is to be tutored by, by Steph. But ultimately, does he have enough patience to be able to wait his turn for a year or two um, well, before Daddy Ball starts crying and, and, and complaining and yelling and screaming that his kid should be playing thirty should be playing ahead of Steph. That's what he would probably do. It's probably what would happen at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. Uh, if I was Golden State, I'd probably try to move down. Again, like if I'm Golden State, I'm just moving this. Like if I get number one, I'm moving it. Uh, be it in a trade out, a trade down whatever you want to do, right? I'd be doing something along those lines. The guy that makes sense to me for them is Obi Toppin a lot as well. Uh, You know, I just kind of talked a lot about uh, Aaron Gordon as being a guy that could really help Golden State. 
Obi Toppin would fit really well with Draymond Green on the offensive end. He's a play finisher, not really a play creator. So he would fit within the scheme of that offense in a similar way to what Matt just talked about in terms of being able to run that, you know, one four, one five high pick and roll with Draymond where uh, Steph's initiating the set, team splits Steph, he's throwing to Draymond for the four on three, right, and trying to take advantage of that. Like Obi would be a murderer in terms of being a play finisher in sets like yeah, I think Obi would be good. I think Onyeka would be really good for Golden State and fill a need. If you could, again, you trade down a couple spots. I just think this number one pick could be an NBA GM killer for the wrong guy. Bob Myers, fine. Obviously, he screws it up. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. But if you're Kobe Altman in Cleveland, do you really want the number one pick? The last guy who did this, it cost him his job, which was Chris Grant. So if you're Kobe Altman, I think you'd be happier – with two or three than one. Like, I can't wait to see the facial expressions of whoever gets the number one pick, whoever that GM is. Are they smiling? Put him next to David Griffin from a year ago, that picture, and the guy who gets it this year. And is it is it that fake, phony smile, the one we saw when, when, when you know, Philly uh, took Jaleel Okafor years ago in the NBA draft, and Jaleel just put on the best face he could, but you could tell he wasn't happy. Yeah, no, I agree. And, uh, you know, with, with Golden State, with Obi Toppin offensively, I love it. It would be a big commitment to playing a lot of small ball, which I, I know they do put a lot of lineups out there, but they've always had, you know, a, a big center too. I mean, Andrew Bogut, Zaza Pachulia, Javon McGee. Kerr loves it, for sure. You know, and so, I mean, Obi, it would be an exciting team, dynamic team offensively, but it would, it would be a, a big commitment to, to playing the modern, you know, small ball. So, all right, where are we if, if Cleveland or Minnesota, the other two teams with, with 14% chance of getting number one, where are we with those two if they get the, uh, the, the number one pick, Sam? Are you, are you sticking uh, with your LaMelo no matter what, or, or do you think it's going to depend on a certain team? Look, I have LaMelo in a tier by himself. In this class, in terms of talent, yeah, I, I do. I Up think side. he is yeah, the up. absolute – best upside player in this class. I totally get it with Anthony Edwards. If you want to make that case, Matt, I'm sure you would. Um, it's a reasonable take, I think. But uh, LaMelo's ability to make plays for others and pick and roll, it's just tailor-made for the way the game is going right now. Like, we can talk about Georgia not having a ton of space and team shooting 29% from three, uh, or Georgia shooting 29% from three around uh, Anthony Edwards. But, you know, like, Severe Wheeler had driving lanes this year and figured out how to get in and out of the paint. Anthony Edwards was happy to settle for step backs. He was happy to not attack. We saw some instances where he did, and he was incredibly successful. Like going back to the South Carolina game uh, where he dropped 30-plus points, I think it was like their fifth to last game of the year. It was unbelievable. But he needs to be willing to take the game on the way that uh, LaMelo already does. You don't have to teach him how to do that. Uh, in the case of Minnesota and Cleveland. Wasn't Edward Sam? What didn't you feel like Crean played Edwards out of position half the year anyway? I mean, tried to play him at the point. He's not a point. He should have played Wheeler at the point, straight point, and let Anthony Edwards be what he is, which is an attacking wing. I don't really know that that was Tom's fault necessarily, though. Uh, <laughs> Anthony Edwards wants the ball in his hands. Like at, at every single level, Anthony Edwards has had the ball in his hands. I think that. Someone like him, even if you initiate the set with Severe Wheeler, you're dishing it off to Edwards for a second side ball screen in all likelihood, and he's going to take over the offense anyway at you know 17 seconds left on the shot clock. So 
I don't know. Like, I actually think Crean did a pretty good job this year of creating different opportunities. Like, he uh, threw out different games of the season. He ran a, a bunch of, like, two, three ball screens, two, one ball screens to try and get him space. Uh, Ten of their 11 players this year that were uh, in their rotation at one time or another took double-digit three-point attempts. Like, their offense was pretty well spaced. It's just that teams only – you know, respected a few of those guys as shooters. It wasn't like North Carolina with Cole Anthony, right? Like the three-two motion offense with North Carolina, like that's not going to go well. Uh, they, they don't really run a ton of pick and roll for a guy like Cole Anthony. So I don't know. Like I, I, I totally get it with the upside with Anthony Edwards, the physical talent, the step back shooting ability, the ability to create his own shot. But I don't, I'm wor- I'm a little bit worried. A little bit worried about Anthony Edwards. <laughs> All right, so so let's go there, Matt. Let's go there. I'm worried about Anthony Edwards, too, and not just because of the 40% field goal shooting and the 30% three-point shooting last year. Um, let, let, let's get into it. I mean, we, we yeah, talked about I, I, NBA guy. I agree. I, I agree yeah. with everything Sam's saying. I mean, the, the, the kid has major flaws that need to be addressed. He, he plays, you know, stereotypical AAU ball. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's one-on-one ball, you know, all these step-back jumpers, contested shots, his shot selection, his decision-making, his, his lack of uh, – a discipline on the defensive end. I mean, th- there are major, major concerns. And I-, I think he's going to be able to address most of them or all of them, at least to a certain extent. But he still has to do it, which which kind of creates a lot of risk if you're a GM, if you're Kobe Altman. You know, and the other issue with, with Cleveland, he's in a tough spot because he just – the last two years he's used high lottery picks on guards. And if he were to take another ball-dominant guard, he's kind of admitting he didn't get those picks right. And it's pretty early on in those guys' careers to kind of bail on them. And – it's a tough spot. I have them taking Anthony Edwards now at number two in our mock draft. I, I never feel that good with the Cleveland pick on our mock drafts. I struggle yeah. with each time I call our, our guys. I'm like, what do you think? And I don't know. He, it's going to be interesting to see what Cleveland does. They're a wild card pick for, for me. No, I'm totally with you, Matt. I think that uh, if they end up with a top three pick, it's going to get really tricky. Like I kind of think that Denny Abdia makes the most sense for them, yeah. but I don't know. Right away. He can right. help you right yeah. away. That's the thing. But I, I don't know if I'm taking Denny with a top three pick. Right. Like, it's right. it's a tough sell for me. But uh, I totally get it. Like, I'd even talk about the defensive end with Anthony Edwards. Like, we can just say that that dude did not give a fuck this year defensively. Right. Right. <laughs> like, it is what it is, right? I mean, it's just well, – We haven't even talked – wait, wait. We Here's the part that we haven't even talked about. When you talk to enough NBA guys – the off-the-court red flags that come with Anthony Edwards. And, and we won't go into the details, but there are enough red flags and concerns from NBA guys. Are there more when you talk to them about Anthony Edwards or LaMelo Ball? Well, who are they more worried about off the court? I would say from when I talk to guys, it's more about Anthony Edwards. Well, I, I, I would, would say uh, what it's worth. the Atlanta Hawks, you know, a lot of people are saying that you know, he needs to stay in the hometown. I, I think behind closed doors, the, the conversation is, no, he needs to get the heck out of town. And so, you know, I'm not going to go deeper on that, but um, I, I hope the Hawks don't don't take him. That sounds like a recipe for disaster. And with LaMelo, I mean, I think the concerns are there too. They're, they're very different. Um, I think all of, you know, LeVar's theatrics, I, I don't think that's that big of an issue. Uh, I, I personally am concerned with the entitlement that he's instilled in his kids. Uh, with LaMelo specifically, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to be a pro. It's hard to get over the hump. And, you know, coming in with an entitlement, it makes things harder. And so that, that does concern. I'm, I'm concerned with both kids, to be, be honest. I, I saw that yeah. close up, guys, with LaMelo. I mean, I, I used to see it 
when I was even doing interviews and hanging around that family early on, that, that, that is the youngest child syndrome. And he let him do whatever he wanted and he would laugh. And, you know, even when LaMelo would airball three straight from 40 feet, he'd kind of tell him to keep shooting the ball. And, and the problem I have is he just hasn't had him in the right environments with the right people over the last few years. Then can you deprogram that? I, I think, again, if you put LaMelo in Cleveland, it's a recipe for disaster. If you put him in Golden State, yes, I think he's got a chance to have a hell of a career. I honestly think you could say the same thing about Anthony Edwards, and that's why, to me, those two kids specifically, and even James Wiseman to some extent, because the big knock on him is he's too soft, so he needs to get somewhere, too, that maybe, like, Draymond would help him. All three kids, like, if you go to Golden State, I'm betting on you. If any of those three kids go to Cleveland – yeah, I'm just not betting on them to have a successful or certainly as a successful career. But it's a double-edged sword with that as well, right? Like Golden State picks guys that fit their mentality. The guys that they've picked previously, like Damian Jones, for instance, who frankly had many of the similar personality concerns that James Wiseman does in terms of being a highly, highly intelligent human being who – people question whether or not he loves basketball or not. Uh, That didn't work, right? Damian Jones had all the talent in the world from a physical standpoint uh, in terms of being able to go up and catch lobs and had great hands and uh, play defense at a high level because of his size. But, you know, it didn't work necessarily at Golden State. Uh, I think that people often kind of try and fix these kids by putting them in the right situation, whereas teams think of it from the perspective of, does this guy fit our culture as it currently exists? And I'm not saying James Wiseman doesn't fit Golden State's culture. I think that he would fit in there, but it would be a circumstance where they would need to reprogram the way that he thinks about things a little bit. And on LaMelo, like I'll at least, I will say I totally agree with you in terms of when I talk to NBA folks, it's more flags about Anthony Edwards than LaMelo. But with LaMelo, it is very different. It is, has he ever been in a situation where winning has been the number one priority when he has been the lead of the offense, right? With Illawarra this year, they were not ever going to be good. Right. Like that, they, that was a whole situation that was built around him for him to have success. And they were terrible when he was out on the court. Like they were just not very good. In Lithuania, nobody gave a fuck if they won those games. Right, Jeff? You were there. True. Very true. (laughs) So how does he react whenever he's put into an environment where winning is the be-all, end-all? How does he fight through that adverse? Right. I don't think it is, to be honest. That's the Um, worry. How does he fight through that initial bit of adversity is kind of it. Like, I like guys whenever I'm, like, you know, if, I, if I'm drafting or something like that, right? I like guys that have proven that they can fight over the hump of adversity. Not necessarily that, um, like, I don't love the fact that players have gone through adversity necessarily. Uh, that sucks. But guys that have proven they can overcome it tend to be more able to overcome the adversity that's going to smack you square in the face whenever you hit the NBA. Yeah, yeah no, I, the piggyback that, Sam, that, that's what worries me with LaMelo, like, for example, with Golden State, is when Draymond calls him out for whatever, how does he take that? And it, it's it's sort of a, 
a deal where it could go either way. It could be a disaster or it could make the kid, you know, a big time all-star, right. all-star player. But there, there is risk there to me. Right. Like I counted this year, I counted eight different times. So I went through and watched all of LaMelo's games, eight different times where he was supposed to be tagging on the backside of a pick and roll. And the dude was just wiping his shoes, like with his hands to prepare for the next time down the offensive court and just totally blew the tag. Like, can you imagine what Draymond Green would do to him if he caught him doing that? Like, like, there is stuff he's going to have to fix. Like, I think that, I, I have not gotten bad reports on him being a bad kid at the end of the day. Like, I, I have not I been told he's a good that. kid. I think he's just yeah. got bad habits, really right. bad right. habits, period. And he's going to have to come out of those. Uh, and I was told this year that, like, working with Jermaine Jackson, who was his guy in uh, Wollongong, which is where Illawarra plays in New South Wales and Australia, I was told that was good for him. Like, I was told yeah. that that worked well, that pairing worked well, having come from Spire with him. So, I I think he's going to get through it. I do. I do think it's going to be dependent on fit, though. I agree with you, Jeff. Live sports are back. It's very possible that we may see an NBA playoff matchup between the Clippers and the Nuggets. That's why our partners at Manscaped have partnered with us to make sure your Nuggets are as safe as possible when that matchup happens. Manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your snags will be reduced. They actually just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. The Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes slashed tip tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. The Perfect Package 3.0 comes with a new and improved lawnmower, waterproof, cordless body trimmer, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you to use when we're done quarantining. The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with a crop preserver and crop reviver. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code, code, C-O-D-E, at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code good and plenty at manscaped.com. Remember, that's good and plenty, G-O-O-D-N-P-L-E-N-T-Y. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And remember, use the code good and plenty. Take your grooming game to the next level. Yeah, I'm just, again, I mean, listen, I heard so many people this year say, oh, he's he's become a really you know good defender. I'm like, no, no, he's not become a good defender. He's just better than he was, which was, I still maintain, he's the worst defensive player. Now, he was young. The worst defensive player that I've seen, along with Jimmer Fredette, since I started covering uh, any level of – I mean, I've, I've seen, you know, middle school kids at least defend at a higher level than LaMelo or Jimmer Fredette did at, at a much older age. But, but, again, listen, the kid, as you started with, Sam, he's got things you can't teach. He's got yeah. similar court vision to his older brother, although he does it completely differently. It's more dribble, dribble, dribble and the Rondo type of pass, right? The, the no look, the, the glitz and glamour. I, I prefer the, the Lonzo way of doing things because I think it's all about winning. And, and LaMelo has got to learn about winning. And, again, I don't know if he does that. It's just- so, so, yeah, let me, let me piggyback off of that because I think that's an interesting idea, right? The way that the NBA is going now is toward these heliocentric 
ball dominant players, right? We see James Harden, we see Luka Doncic, we see Trey Young, we see even Bradley Beal to an extent operated this way this year, right? Uh, that's the way that the league is going. Lonzo can't really operate in that function because he's not a good enough ball handler. Right. Uh, he has very high dribble. He has very stiff hips. LaMelo is very different in that regard. LaMelo has all the shit you want off the bounce. He's got it all. Like, he can do whatever he needs to do to get separation. Uh, he has great change of pace. He has all of these hesitation moves. His crossover is wicked. Like, he's got all that. And then on top of that, he has one-handed live dribble passes that he can spray all over the court. He can hit that cross-corner kick out. Uh, he can hit just the, you know, pick and roll, roll and replace out to the top of the key, you know, as a no-look pass. He can do every single thing that you're looking for. Uh, from a lead guard position as a ball handler and passer. So the the upside is there. I totally get it. I get what people say whenever they hear that or whenever you hear he's a good defender. He has feel that sometimes does it's length. show itself it's on length that end. Is what he has. He has, right? he has length and he has instincts. He has he good has anticipation right. for getting into passing lanes. The problem is that he's not a good defender. I agree with you, Jeff. He's a bad defender because he's not engaged more than – 15 to 20% of the time. Yep. Well, also, you know, he, he's not very good. He's not very athletic either. He's got great size and coordination. He's skilled, yeah. uh, but he's not very athletic. And, and I think he may struggle at least early on with NBA physicality. Cause he, you know, he's, he's physically weak, doesn't have yep. much burst so, and, and he's not, he's not, he's not committed to the defensive end. So I, I think it's going to be really ugly early on on the defensive end. So it's funny. Like he doesn't have the traditional athletic stuff. Right. I think his first step's actually pretty good. His ability to, to decelerate and then accelerate again, I think is actually pretty strong. And that bears itself out as a ball handler. Like you see him do some of the same stuff that a Stephen Curry does, that a Luka Doncic does with the ball in his hands when changing paces. The problem is that defensive ability is more based on the traditional athletic tools right. of lateral quickness, explosiveness, leaping, you know, short area stuff. And he doesn't really have that. I agree yeah. with you. And uh, finishing at the rim this year, even in Australia, was a problem for him mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, well, he doesn't want to absorb contact. But a lot of guys with his frame and sure. his needs don't. I mean, listen, Jason Tatum didn't want to absorb contact earlier this season. Right. And, and it's changed. So that that part, I'm not worried about. All right. So, all right. Gun to your head. I, I'm, I'm giving you either you can have the top three guys as the best player to come out of this draft. Or you can have everybody else. Are you saying it's going to be one of those three? I'm betting on everybody else. I'm taking the field. And honestly, the guy that I really like, I mean, I don't I don't love anybody. All right, let, let me start there. I don't All right, love come anybody. on. Give us the take. I want the, the guy hot that take. I, yeah. I think is very underrated. I'm not sure he's going to – I don't know who the star is going to be out of this draft. None of us do. None of us have that crystal ball. The guy I think is underrated and has a chance is Patrick Williams. I really do. I, I think he's got the DNA, number one. I, I think he's – yes, he's not that ball-dominant guard that you talked about, but but I think he can be that multidimensional forward that if if you're ranking the most important things in the NBA right now, you're going ball-dominant guard, um, versatile forward. And I think Patrick Williams can be that. He can defend multiple positions. He's big, strong. Yeah, he's not a great shooter yet, but I think he's going to work and become one. And he's a man. So, I, again, I think he's a very safe pick to be a 10-year NBA starter, which, again, if you told me you can have that in the top 10 picks this year, 
I think most GMs would sign up for that right away. Yeah, I, I like Patrick Williams. I mean, he, he had a really slow start to the year. I mean, looked like looked like a deer in headlights, freshman type type action. Uh, really started putting together towards the end, and he's got all the tools, like you said. And, you know, he's he's perfect. You know, as, as a hybrid forward uh, for how the game's played right now. Uh, so with all these tools, he just needs to put it all together. So it's all it's, it's all just you know synergized. And uh, but I agree. I mean, he's he's a guy that's uh, he's one of our upside guys that uh, you know could end up being a star type guy. Uh, he's just got he's got to put it together. Who, who's your underrated guy, Sam? Who, who's the guy that, like, you're going to bet on is potentially being – and I'm going I'm to circle back to you, Matt, with your choice in this. Who's the guy that, like, could be that number one guy? I mean, I know you love Lamelo right now. Uh, you're the president yeah. of Lamelo. Yeah. But, but we'll, we'll... I don't even know that I'm that. You should see some of the people on the internet that love Lamelo. It's wild. <laughs> oh, uh, wait, wait. You, you think I don't know about those people? <laughs> Come on. I'm, I'm the one every time I say anything about the ball family, it's, it's, you hate them. You know, you, you, you turn your back on them. I'm like, wait, wait, <laughs> just so you know, like I was never paid by the ball family. Like I was never their PR guy. I just, I enjoy being around LeVar in short stints. And then when you put me with him for 10 days, that is not a short stint. That's not going to end well. <laughs> that didn't go well. Uh, I like Pat Williams. I like that pick. I don't really see star upside with Pat Williams necessarily, but I agree with uh, you guys in saying that I think he's probably going to turn into a starter at some point. Uh, He's just enormous. Like that's the thing that people don't really understand yet. I think like he is a bear. Like that dude is just huge. He has like boulders on his shoulders. It looks like the guy that I like probably above everyone else, uh, like in comparison to where people have him ranked is Kyra Lewis, I would guess. Uh, six foot three, very skinny still. And the frame does worry me. I tend to be someone that does value these guys that have physical strength, but, uh, his speed is just unbelievable. And he really continued to improve as a half court decision maker throughout the course of the year. He's now able to make some of those one-handed live dribble passes that you look for. He has a really great scorer's mentality. Uh, he's a little bit stiff coming into pull-up opportunities, which worries me a little bit uh, as an isolation scorer, but as a pick and roll threat, I think he's going to develop into a really nice starting caliber point guard in the NBA at some point. I agree. He sort of reminds me of Darren Carlson a little bit with the speed and shooting ability. Yeah. Um, a little bit bigger, but yeah. I think he needs to get a little bit, you know, put a little money in his pocket, get his swagger up a little bit. I think he could be a bigger scorer because, uh, you know, I, he's got a sweet shoot, shooting stroke. He just seems like he's yeah. still kind of growing in mentally to be a shooter. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I like Lewis a lot too. All right. So I, I started this, I think, with Matt with with what's your biggest kind of uh, theme of, of the draft lottery. Sam, what, what, what's yours other than the number one pick and that there's a no, there's no clear cut. Is there something else that you are looking for going into the draft lottery? Going into the lottery. That's an interesting one. I should probably get this down just cause I have to I do know. like a live show on Thursday. Like I, I have right. to think about this. I'm preparing. Uh, yeah, for sure. I would say where do teams like new Orleans San Antonio, Sacramento, Phoenix, some of these Western Conference teams that see themselves as hopefully making that next step toward the playoffs next year, where do they land? Because if they move up on draft lottery night, it could change their fortunes pretty substantially. If they stay similar in their current uh, location and trajectory, they could decide to move that pick pretty easily, I think. Uh, in order to try and get help in there now uh, and, 
know, kickstart things. Because if you look at the Western Conference next year in the NBA, <laughs> like, I mean, Minnesota thinks of itself as a contender. I don't really see how Minnesota even comes close to making the playoffs based off their current roster right now. And Minnesota has Carl Towns and D'Angelo Russell, both of whom are past all-stars. So, man, it gets it gets hard in the Western Conference really quickly. So I'll be interested to see where some of those teams that see themselves and fashion themselves as contenders in the West uh, for a playoff berth next year land. Where Where's the line, guys? Where is the line in this draft? Um, Matt, you started saying this early, maybe – I don't know. I can't remember if you use six or eight. The top eight guys are in, in, in kind of that same group. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is. I mean, I can't really get a good feel for where that drop-off is because I don't think there's a clear guy that should go one, two, or three. I think you could throw a lot of these guys in a hat at this point. And, and again, it may be more fit than ever or certainly personal uh, liking than anything else this year. Yeah, I mean, I've got eight guys, and I said six to eight because there's the guys we've talked about, uh, and then the, the last two would be um, Killian Hayes and Isaac Okoro. I have them in that, that first tier, but they're kind of at the outside outside of it. After that, there's a pretty big drop-off. It goes somewhere like nine to 20-ish, uh, where you know, another another grouping of guys that I think are, are pretty close together. Bassini's got Hal Burton in that top group, Right. I do have Hal Burton in that top group. I think he's just going to fit really well as a starter long-term. He also gets talked about as like some super high-level defender. And off the ball, I think he is on the ball, though. Uh, Teams in the Big 12 like felt pretty comfortable attacking him this year. Uh, I agree with Matt. Uh, We basically just replaced uh, Okoro with Hal Burton because I have Okoro at 10. Uh, You know, I would imagine that, Matt, you probably have Hal Burton somewhere in that range, right? I have a 10, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, same deal. I would say, like, top eight. Or, really, I would have LaMelo in a tier by himself, and I'd have, like, two through eight. And then, you know, nine to – oh, man. Nine to, like, yeah, 20 15. sounds right. Maybe nine to 16. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, and then the guy that, like, I can't figure out where to place is Pakushevsky, uh, the, right. like, Serbian-Greek kid. Like, you, if you watch tape on that kid and you watch just, like, the highlights of the tape, you're like – oh, wow, this guy is probably a top six or seven talent in this draft class. And then you watch full games and it kind of, I don't want to say he floats in and out, but there's a lot of inefficiency in his game. He's going to be the youngest player in this class. I think his birthday is like December 20th or something like that. So he's very, very, very young and still has a lot of time to develop. But you know, he, he's the guy that I think is the move guy in this class that you could sell me, he goes, you could sell me someone surprises and takes him at like number eight. And then you could tell me that he goes like number 26 to Boston second pick because they're trying to stash someone. And it's like, okay, yeah, right. I get it right now. So yeah, I'll, I, I'll give you another a tough one because he's got, he's got the upside, you know, he, he's got the tools that tease you. I just, I don't see him being able to play major minutes in the NBA for a couple of years. I mean, just physically alone. I mean, who's that guy going to defend, but he's a seven footer. puts on the floor. He could pass, he could shoot it. He, you know, it's, he's, he's polarizing. I, I agree, Sam. He's, he's a tough one. Uh, I'll give you, Sam, if you, if you have to do any other pre-lottery interviews, uh, the right answer to, to the previous question, just say the New York Knicks and where they end up drafting. That, that's probably as interesting, as intriguing as anything else going into the draft lottery, right, is what's Leon Rose going to have? Are you going to be in a position to take a LaMelo ball? Because, listen – I kind of agree with you on, on, on that one. Like New York, LaMelo, he can handle all yeah. of the, the 
you know, all of the, uh, the glitz, the glamour, the expectations, he'll love it. Um, yeah. You know, I, I just don't know. I, again, listen, you, you guys know where I stand. I think if you've followed my Twitter feed enough with the hiring of Leon Rose and worldwide West and I love See, like, I yeah. think Leon's going to be fine. I, you know, like the rest of it, like hiring Wes and hiring Kenny Payne, like, I, I don't know what those guys do necessarily, but I, I think Leon's like smart from everything I've been told. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think hiring Walt Parent was huge. I mean, Walt's. Yeah, you know, totally agree. You know, well-respected basketball guy has been doing this forever. You know, hopefully Leon leans on Walt for a lot of these basketball decisions. And I mean, I, I if he does, I think, I think it could really work as Walt, Walt knows what's going on. Listen, ultimately, if you're the Knicks, um, you know, you, you've got a 9% chance right now. Uh, you've got, I think, 24% chance to get in the top three. If you can get in the top three, but again, like we've said, it's not like getting in the top three is going to guarantee you anything uh, more than dropping at seven or eight. So ultimately for the Knicks and, and Leon Rose and Wes and whoever's there, it comes down to can you convince, like Devin Booker, a great example for me, okay? He, he obviously had Devin Booker as a client. I compare this to Kenny Payne. You get you hire Kenny Payne as well, right? Which helps. I mean, everybody loves Kenny Payne. Every you will never hear a bad word about Kenny Payne. Unbelievable human being. I think he'll be a great NBA assistant coach because of his uh, his personality, just the way he is as a human being. But ultimately, you got to get a Devin Booker. Could it Devin Booker? Okay, could it be like an Anthony Davis situation where a few years ago New Orleans wins that playoff series? Their expectations raise to whereas then you're expecting big things the next year. They didn't make the playoffs. And what happened? Obviously, we saw Rich Paul gets Anthony Davis and gets that to, you know, obviously leverages that to, to, to get to the Lakers. Could that be the same thing that happens? I know Booker signed a big extension, but ultimately, if they fall flat in their face next year in Phoenix and they don't make the playoffs, is it something then where Devin Booker, somebody gets in his ear and says, hey, listen, why don't you do this? It worked for AD. I mean, everybody's got leverage now in the NBA if you want it. So I, I just don't know where that's going to go. And, and Ken Leon Rose and Kenny Payne and World Wide West, they, they got to get a big-time free agent to turn this franchise. They, they're, they're not doing it through the draft. Yeah, I think it's – I mean, it's definitely possible. And it's not anything new. I mean, my, my Uncle Rob dealt with it in Toronto with Vince Carter, and it was just an impossible situation. And it got to the point where they, they didn't want to trade Vince – and it got, you know, been set out and pretty much ownership put pressure on my uncle. Like, hey, you need to make something move. Right. And they did. And my uncle was labeled like the worst GM of all time because of that trade. <laughs> it's just kind of like, well, this is a group deal, right? And uh, so, I mean, you know, that kind of stuff, the players do have a lot of leverage if they, if they wanted to do what it takes to, to be difficult enough to, to put the pressure on, on, on the team. You agree, Sam, the only way they do it is free agency. And are, are you betting on uh, Leon Rose to land one of the big boys? Um, I don't know that it's free agency. It might be like pre-agency, like you said, where, right. you know, Devin requests a trade a year out before he's a free agent. Like, I think, I think we're two years away from Devin still, like he still has four years on that deal, if I remember correctly. So like, I think we're probably a couple years out on him. I think we're at least a year and a half out on Carl Towns. Like, that's why this summer it's hard, man. Like if I'm New York, I'm happy to go out and I'm happy to get someone like, Obi Toppin or Tyrese Halliburton, both of whom, by the way, are represented by CAA. So there's a connection there. I think both of those guys would really actually help Mitch Robinson and RJ Barrett. I think that they're 
closest pathway to success is by actualizing the two of those players, putting them in the best position to succeed, and then using them as selling points going forward to other players. The other guy that I think they should really take a look at this summer, because they have enough cap space to do whatever the fuck they want, they should go out and look at Fred Van Vliet. That guy is the most perfect fit for R.J. Barrett out on the marketplace because totally selfless, just wants to win games, defends the point guard position at an exceedingly high level, can shoot next to RJ, can distribute and play multiple different roles next to RJ. Like you can play him off ball if you want to have RJ initiate the offense. You can play him on ball if you want to have RJ play as more of a wing creator role. You can do both of those things in the same game. Again, getting a guy defensively that can step in next to RJ I think would be really helpful. So, you know, someone like that I think would even be more important for uh, the Knicks in the immediate future than going out and getting like, uh, a superstar, just because I don't really see that guy out on the marketplace. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online Sports. They've made its way back, obviously. We've seen that with UFC, NASCAR, soccer uh, up first, NBA going on, NFL's coming up soon, hopefully. And uh, now we're pretty tight with those NBA futures. Uh, Lakers still with a slim lead over the Clippers. Lakers plus 285. Clippers plus 310, Bucks plus 325, and then a big gap uh, going to Toronto. And then the Rockets and Celtics at plus 1,200. Uh, need more? Bet Online has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening every day live for you to check out. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and all the best props in the business. Visit betonline.ag or use your mobile device and join now to receive your new welcome bonus and start playing today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. No, I love that Van Vliet. I mean, I think Van Vliet's got a lot of the same, they're different, but a lot of the same things as Malcolm Brogdon, you know, in terms of what he brings to a franchise, right? You're going to, you're going to get a guy that's all about the right things that, that makes all the right plays. High character will be great in the locker room, silent leader, but will call guys out when necessary. I love that. I actually think Fred Van Vliet would be a great – and I'd overpay for him. Who cares? Right. Okay. That's my thing. Like, like Milwaukee, uh, um, they want to <laughs> – or not Milwaukee, I'm sorry, Toronto. Toronto, it's not really a secret, wants to keep max cap space to keep the idea of Giannis available, right, uh, into the summer of 2021. Uh, the relationship between Masai Ujiri and Giannis Antetokounmpo is well established at this stage, right? So – they're only going to go, I think, to a certain number with Fred Van Vliet. And if the Knicks want to decide to max him for, like, I don't even know that that's necessarily a good deal, but he'd help them at the certain, uh, at the very least. I don't know that they're going to match that. I really don't. I don't know that, like, I'm sure Fred would love to stay in Toronto where it's a great uh, situation for him to succeed. And I'm sure that they've told Fred that if you stay, uh, you're going to take over the reins from Kyle and be the next guy. But Man, I mean, the difference in terms of eight to ten million dollars a year—that's a—it's a big number. So, I mean, what, what would you pay him? Twenty million? Pay him twenty. I think him. the Knicks would have to go higher. I think Toronto can actually match twenty uh, and maintain paths to max cap space. You yeah. probably have to pay him like twenty-four, twenty-five. Right. And that's a lot. Like that's, yeah, that's what Jalen Brown's getting, right? Yeah. Which in Jalen Brown's a better player, but. 
he helps them a lot. He really yeah, helps I agree. them. I'm, I'm going to say this. I was sort of just curious. I mean, because it's that's a lot of money for his his caliber of player. But I, I you know, he does have all the substance. He does, you know, he, he could be, you know, somewhat of a culture builder. Um, and I, I right. think the Knicks with the, within the draft, it's a tough spot. It's a tough job because you have so much pressure on you to produce. I would try and swing for the fences on one of these upside guys. I mean, Anthony Edwards would right. be a nice nice guy to get because there's a chance he's going to be a star. And, you know, your, your job's on the line every day. You're, you're, you're in the Knicks' home, right? So it's just I, I might be swinging for it. That's your chance of, of sticking there long term. Right, and if they, get, if they get a top three pick, I totally agree with you. I'm 100% in on that. Let's go through some other guys. Some other guys, quick hitting, all right? Quick hitting, like them, love them, don't love them, all right? To me, uh, the most flammable guy in, in the draft, I think the guy that, that probably uh, – is tantalizing in a lot of ways. You guys know who I'm going to say is Jaden McDaniels. You know, he looks the part. Uh, Sam and I have seen him since AAU ball some days. Man, he looked unbelievable. Uh, other games, he, he'd put up two points and do nothing. Same thing at Washington. Um, like him, love him. Uh, where, where do you stand on him, Matt? Uh, he's scary. I mean, he, he's he may, maybe the ultimate high-risk, high-reward guy in this draft. I mean, I think we've, we've gone anywhere from having him top 10 to late first, you know, because it's just he's polarizing. And um, if it clicks, I mean, he could end up being one of the best players in the draft, uh, or he could be in the G League in the next few years. You know, he, he's that guy. Uh, but he's got, you know, he's got, the, he's got the length. He's got the tools. Um, he's, got, he's just got to grow up. I mean, from what I understand, he's very immature. Um, you know, I, he, he scares me. Sam? Yeah, I have him in like 38 to 45 range. Uh, not an enormous He's your bull bull. He's your bull bull, yeah. <laughs> right? By the way, I nailed bull bull last year in terms of where he went too. Like, I totally get it with Jaden. The talent is there. No question. Um, every team is looking for a big creator. Six foot ten, can do a bunch of different stuff, but not for me personally. He'll go in the first round, but not for me personally. Yeah, yeah I'm kind of with you there. All right. A guy that Sam loved early, and I think he's dropped him down. I'm curious to see where you have him now, Sam, because I've been all over the board with him too, is Tyrese Maxey. Where do you have him now? I know right. you had him early in the year. We had a discussion. I think you had him top. Five or six. Yeah, yeah. right? And you've dropped yeah, you him. Dropped him. I have. I have him at like 13, 14 now. So I still have him as a lottery pick, uh, like borderline lottery range, something like that. Uh, the thing that scares me is obviously the shot. Uh, he needs to be someone that is a 38, 39% three-point shooter. And I think he's a better shooter than what he showed this year as well. But I have enough concern about him getting there to where uh, I have him more as like a mid-first round guy. Matt? You know, I and I don't want to say I dislike him because I, I do like Max. He, he brings a lot to the table. And, and what we were talking about with Van Vliet, Max, he has a lot of similar characteristics. I mean, high-character kid, a lot of substance, He's the kind of guy you want to build a winning culture. Uh, I question, you know, how his game's going to translate. You know, I've stood right next to him. He's probably 6'2", maybe. Yep. Uh, I, I don't trust his ability to play point guard. I don't think he's overly quick. I don't think he's got a feel to play point guard. The shot, he's got the really low release. He shot, what would he shoot, 28% from three this year or something like that. And, you know, so I've got him more of like, you know, in the 20s, which is significantly lower than what most people do. So most people would, would say I, I dislike him. I just don't like him as much as everybody else does. Yeah. Cole Anthony. Sam, where, where do you stand on Cole Anthony? I well, he's listen, he's another one. That's the hardest one for no, me. That, that's who I thought you were talking about with McDaniels. Well, McDaniels yeah. is more flammable because you're worried about him like 
Does he love the game? There's some red flags with him when you talk to people around Washington. Uh, with Cole, listen, the one thing I thought going into the year with Cole was, is he going to be a good teammate, right? And, and everything I've been – and I've talked to his teammates. I've talked to people on staff. They will all say – and listen, the kid came back. The kid came back when nobody thought he would in his right mind. So I think that says a lot about uh, Cole Anthony that maybe we question. But ultimately – I still compare Cole in a lot of ways to Austin Rivers um, in a sense that they both think they're kind of probably a little bit better than they are. Uh, neither one are great athletes. Neither one are overly efficient. Neither one were really point guards that made people better in college. I mean, Austin's more of a scoring guard. We knew that going in. But Cole, some people thought he could be more of a guy who, who made people better. Um, I think they're both kind of like pieces at the next level and, and not guys that certainly are going to be long-time uh, starters. Am I wrong? Well, um, the intel that we've gathered has not been good. I mean, it's been really bad. And, and, and talking with different NBA teams, I've heard from a handful of different, different guys pretty much saying he's not even on their board because we just don't want him on our team. And wow. so that's not everybody, but that is, that is being said some places. And so – um, all year, I've been lower on him all year uh, than than most of the media has, uh, just because of a lot of that negative intel. And you know, is he good enough to be such an alpha dog? You know, he, he clearly is a talented scorer and he can create his own shot. And I love, I love his toughness and his competitiveness. There's just there's some concerns there of how he fits into an NBA locker room and team. Have you heard the same thing, Sam? With, with that 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 much with NBA teams? Worried about so it? I've heard from NBA teams similar to Matt that there are those concerns there. I, you know, have done my background intelligence like you have, Jeff, uh, on my own, and like I'm sure you have as well, Matt. I haven't gotten that impression, though. Like, I totally agree with what Matt's saying. I've heard similar. I think he's 100% right. Uh, there are teams that don't have them on their board. But, or at least have them so low that it would be effectively like a do not draft range, right? Uh, I've heard the same things you have, Jeff, that he was a good teammate this year and that he was, uh, you know, someone that was really competitive and that he was a good person to have around uh, for North Carolina. And that, like, during his injury, uh, like, for instance, like when Michael Porter was hurt a few years ago, you heard that, like, Michael still acted very entitled and like, it wasn't about the team. It was more about him. I have not heard that same thing about Cole Anthony necessarily. So he's a, he's a tough one for me. That's why I keep going back and forth on where Cole Anthony is because like Matt said, like I've heard from teams that we just don't want to deal with it because of the entitlement and because of everything that comes along with Cole Anthony. But I frankly think that he cares so much about, basketball and cares so much about the game and the fact that he is the son of an NBA veteran that is still involved in the NBA. I think there's going to be a bit more of a, like a rope for him, right? I think guys are going to try a little bit harder to take him under their wing and try to get him to be more about, um, more, not even want to say like about the right things, but about, uh, just doing things in a way that help the team win maybe is the best way to put it. And I think that he cares enough about basketball to where it might take a couple of years, but I think that he will figure it out and will play in the NBA for a long time. 
Well, listen, I, I appreciate you guys taking the time. We got Thursday night uh, NBA draft lot. We can finally start talking about the draft. I mean, it has been ridiculous. I mean, think about this, how long it's oh. been uh, to get to this point where we're at the draft lottery. And then we can start, you know, interspersing a little bit of draft stuff uh, throughout the next couple months before the, the uh, you know, while the playoffs go on. So uh, I appreciate you guys coming on and uh, we'll do it again. We'll do it again as the draft gets closer. We'll start talking a little bit more about uh, what we're all hearing. And uh, I appreciate it again. And be safe. And we'll talk soon. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Take care, guys. You got yeah. it. Have a good one.